Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for another installation of Season 2 of the Loden Sports Outlier Sessions. My name is Matt Pajak, co-founder of Loden Sports. Before we get started, quick plug on what Loden Sports is. We are the affordable human performance data provider. If you're interested in learning more about how we benchmark athletic development, inform athlete health and readiness, and identify outliers, visit our website at www.loadedsports.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sports and read our blog, which is also available through our website. I also want to throw a shout out to our friends at Yellow Box Macaroons, the first unofficial sponsor of the Loden Sports Outlier Sessions. If you're a fan of sweet treats, their hand-curated coconut macaroons are a must. Continuing on the tradition of Jackie Weiss, Yellow Box Macaroons is the most delicious box of macaroons in the world. If you don't like coconut or macaroons, that's on you. Find your next box on www.yellowboxmacaroons.com or on Instagram at yellowboxmacaroons. The Outlier Sessions have been created as a way to bridge the gap and create a connection between the aspiring and the achieving. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, today we have the first international guest to grace the Loden Sports Outlier Sessions, hailing from Sydney, Australia, Oregon State rising sophomore infielder Travis Bazana, coming off an impressive freshman campaign where he logged a full season worth of starts, batted 306, 26 extra base hits, and he showed off the speed as well with four triples, 14 stolen bases. Travis, thanks for hopping on with us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're looking forward to learning more about your journey, and we're hoping you can give us a scoop on Australia baseball as well. Uh, but before we get into all that, let's get it going with a few quick hitters. Um, so, Travis, have you ever woken up with a huntsman spider in your room? I think I have, but I couldn't recall like a story. I feel like sometimes you just see huntsmen in the top corner of your room or or whatever, just just randomly. So uh, I couldn't I couldn't recall or tell you exactly when it happened, but I'm sure there's been a huntsman at the somewhere on my wall somewhere when I wake up one day. Yeah, I went to I went to high school with someone from Australia, and they were telling me about the huntsman spider, how big it was, and how it's pretty common. Uh, to just show up in your house and he said he woke up one morning with one on his chest so uh, <laughs> yeah never never on my body but i've definitely seen a couple huntsmen yeah early for anybody in the morning. listening uh who hasn't seen one of those make sure you give it a google real quick <laughs> so uh all right second one um have you ever tried kangaroo i have i've had kangaroo once in my life i think and it was probably when I was like 13 or 14, I, I remember having a kangaroo steak, but it's not very common and I'm not sure, not sure how many people actually eat it, but I, I did try it once. It's just like a lean, I think you could compare it to like a gamey type meat here, I'd say. Yeah, it's probably similar to like us eating deer, you know, you yeah. go to restaurants and see venison everywhere, but you know, there's certain restaurants you can run up on that, that'll have that. No doubt, yeah. Um, all right. Two Australian-born athletes, Ben Simmons or Kyrie Irving? Keep one. <laughs> Kyrie Irving. <laughs> oh, Was it, that didn't seem like a tough one for you. No, it's not a tough one. I don't know. I, I have had my periods where I absolutely love Kyrie Irving. I've never really loved Ben Simmons like that. And then, yeah, just I don't know. Ben Simmons has never given me uh, the best impressions. I don't know. I feel like I feel like I like Kyrie more. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right. Uh, in Australia, what is the most bitter sporting rivalry? Uh, Queensland versus New South Wales, state of origin. It's uh, rugby league, which is a form of rugby. There's there's rugby union and rugby league, both very popular in Australia. And yeah, rugby league. Two of the biggest states in the country are New South Wales, where I'm from, and, and Queensland. And there's a, a sporting, a three-game series every year where the best players from New South Wales and uh, Queensland battle it out for kind of bragging rights across those two states on the East Coast. Uh, and, yeah, it's huge fan support and, and a big rivalry. It's It was great in my family growing up because my dad grew up right on the border of Queensland and New South Wales but he was a Queenslander at heart. So everyone in my family was from New South Wales and kind of just loved the 
the moments battling it out, watching with, with our dad and, and talking, talking a lot of smack and it was, yeah, just great times. That's awesome. Is that, um, the type of rivalry that's better to watch on TV or is that one that you feel safe going to in person? Uh, in person, it's like, it's amazing. Some of the best like fan experience I've ever had. So I, I love the environment there when I go, but a lot of the time, um, watched it at home with family and friends and it was still great, but I, I wish I watched more live, honestly. That's what's up. Yep. All right. So we're going to shift away from Australia now to the U S real quick. What food item have you grown to love in the U S? Oh, uh, the, I honestly, the Mexican food, like in Australia, there's really no Mexican food. Cause I guess there's not that many Mexican people that many Mexican people in Australia. And so I think here, like there's, there's good quality Mexican food. And I think that, yeah, good options, high calories and it's nice and easy and tasty. So, yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, that's one of the, the beautiful things about the United States and you'll find this as you progress through the game of baseball and you probably end up off the West coast. Like you can find good Mexican food, in any part of the country it's not just limited yeah. to southern california or texas or whatever it is so um yeah i'm with you on that yeah and then uh I'll, I'll hit you with one last quick one and then we'll kind of get into it a little bit more who's your favorite player in baseball right now julio rodriguez by a long long shot um a little bit of bias because i'm in the northwest right now watching the mariners play a little bit but you literally like he'll ground out to shortstop he'll hit a ball 450 feet and there's just a huge smile on his face and it's just so fun to watch. So I think huge future in the game for that guy. And yeah, I just love guys that are really tooled up and, and play the game with a bit of excitement. So Julio is definitely my favorite player right now. Yeah. That guy's no doubt tooled up the first time. So I haven't even seen him play in a game, but the first exposure I had to him was in the home run derby this year. Yeah. And, uh, I knew immediately that <laughs> there was something different about that guy. Um, yep. And I think he's got an opportunity to really, you know, hopefully the Mariners make it back to the playoffs this year for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's especially in the wake of everything that just came out on Tatis and we'll be seeing yeah. him for the rest of the year. Like he's a good one. He, yeah, he's going to have a big future for sure. All right. So transitioning here, uh, long-term athlete development, that's something that's very important to us at Loden Sports. So we're going to get going here with a few of our signature LTAG questions before we get more into your journey. Um, let's start with emotional well-being. It's important. Uh, gratitude is something we like to dwell on every single day. Travis, what are three things that you're grateful for today? Oh, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be pursuing my passions and dream and the game of baseball. Um, in the United States and in this beautiful summer. So definitely pursuing baseball, that opportunity is amazing. I'm grateful for that. Um, the sun's out and it's blue skies. It's been great weather up here in Washington at the moment. So I'm, I'm grateful for the, the weather. It's, it's just nice. Sometimes in the Northwest, it gets a little bit gloomy and rainy. So it's nice to spend some time with the sun out and, and warm weather for sure. Um, and I'm grateful for my support system, I'd say, like my family and friends, whether they're back home or here in the States. I've, I feel like I've got a really great um, network of people that are pulling the same way as me and um, just here to connect with me. And um, Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, you touched on the weather up in the Pacific Northwest in the summertime. Uh, that's the only time I've visited Seattle been there like two or three times in july and the weather yep. is perfect um so <laughs> yeah it's nice yeah. that you're able to appreciate that you know normally you'd be off doing something else in the summertime and you only get to see the the rainy period for the other 10 months but um, yep. glad you're experiencing that uh three things on my end uh first off battery life on phones and devices pretty remarkable that even though we have to charge them daily, they can stay on continuously for months and in some cases years uh, without you having to turn them off. Mm -hmm. um, two is an even table or chair. There's nothing worse than a wobbly table or chair. 
like when you're eating or trying to get work done or anything like that. So fortunately right now I have both. Um, <laughs> and then the last one is the pursuit of miscellaneous skills. So like pickling peppers or baking bread, um, are they necessary? Probably not. Are they stimulating and fulfilling? Absolutely. And I guess yeah. I would encourage just about anyone to pursue activities that stimulate and fulfill them. Yeah. <laughs> so, Good stuff. yeah. Um, second LTAG question is about ignition. Ignition is what keeps the fire lit for the athlete to continue to want to play their sport as they get into high school, college, beyond that, in whatever capacity. And a lot of kids, at least this has been the trend here in the States, are quitting sports as they get into high school because they were pushed too hard as a kid. Um, and ignition is organic. It's what captures the interest of the young athlete. And it could be a person in your life, someone you grew up watching, a moment that kind of captures your attention. What or who ignited you when you were younger to pursue the game of baseball? Yeah, I think I think my, my dad for sure. And it's funny you touched on it, but you said like, kids are quitting because they're kind of being um, like forced to do things, forced to play sports and they're pushed really hard by people. Um, and yeah, I think it's my dad because he supported me, but never forced me. He trusted in me and guided me, um, guided me the right way, but never like never ever pressed anything on me. And so I was able to like go through, go through failure, be competitive, have opportunities, and just learn myself. And then that just like grew the fire in me to, to want to get better. And it like, it never mattered whether I went 0 for 4 or 4 for 4. I still felt the same love for my dad. So it was like, it gave me all the confidence in the world to go out there and get better and, and do great and, and love baseball. So yeah, it, it was, it was unconditional with him, but it was never ever pressed on me like I, I could have played cricket I could play rugby I could have played soccer whatever it was and he wouldn't have he wouldn't have cared he would have just been happy that I was doing what I wanted to do so yeah it was just that guidance and never never forcing me so that allowed me to find that ignition as I grew older and grew um, more mentally mature to where I to get me to where I am now that's awesome shout out to your dad um, and I know a handful of dads that are similar to your dad and allowing, you know, their kids to kind of guide their own experience and decide what they want to pursue and wholeheartedly support that. Um, you know, but I'm sure you've seen it, you know, whether it be here in the States or maybe back home. Um, I don't know how prevalent it is back in Australia, but it's, it's a big issue here, but like you've, you've been around at probably at some point, uh, the kid who's, you know, not necessarily the heart's not in it. it they're more doing it you know, because of some kind of outside influence, um, or some expectation in the moment that that expectation's not there, you know, that they'll probably just drop it. Um, no doubt. So pretty awesome to hear. Yep. Uh, Thanks. let's talk about sleep. It's the least dangerous, most legal performance enhancer. Uh, what's your relationship like with sleep? Oh, it's great. I, um, I guess since, since I was pretty young, I've always kind of dove into books and research and whatever it is to try give myself the best opportunity to get better at baseball. And so like when looking into success and human performance, like obviously sleep is basically the number one thing every single time and it gets, yeah, obviously it's super important. So I guess in the last 24 months or so I've, trying to create good routines and good habits in terms of sleep. So I try to make my room as dark as it can be wherever I am, uh, keep the room cool as much as I can. Um, and then I feel best when I get nine hours of sleep, but a lot of the time I'll wake up naturally at like eight, eight hours and a half or eight hours, 45 minutes. So, and feel great. So yeah, I think about eight and a half hours for me is good. Nine is even better, but, yeah, I think just putting myself in the best environment for sleeping quality and, and longer is super important to me and it's helped me recover and, and perform better. And I and you can definitely feel it. So I don't have to rely on any caffeine or anything if I'm getting good sleep. So, um, yeah. Well, you seem like a guy that's pretty well tuned into the benefits of sleep. 
uh, probably more so than the majority of people. Uh, have you, re- have you by any chance read the book, uh, why we sleep by Matthew Walker? Uh, no, I actually haven't. Yeah. Well, if, if you're looking to supplement your knowledge on sleep, um, although, like I said, you've, you're well ahead of the curve. Uh, that's, that's been a really good one, um, for me to reference and it's actually referenced in our LTAD. So, um, it sounds like you're the kind of guy that's interested in that. I saw, you know, on your profile that you're interested in sport performance and potentially pursuing that beyond baseball at some point, uh, hopefully a long time down the road. Um, so all if, if you're interested and we can connect after this, I'd be interested in getting your feedback on, uh, kind of where we're at with our LTAD and in the draft on that and yeah no doubt i'd love to help cool um all right something that not a ton of people are probably aware of yet is that over the past few years the arrow has been pointed up on baseball in australia and it seems like there are more and more aussies getting opportunities to play professionally and collegiately here in the states travis enlighten us a bit what's it been like from your perspective where did Oregon State see you? How'd you get your opportunity? Obviously, we don't see a ton of Aussies in Power Five NCAA baseball. Yeah, uh, there's definitely a, a positive trend right now, and and the the idea and plan in terms of baseball in Australia has just gotten better and better lately. And I think there's a really good long term vision, which is allowing us to do better things in the short term as a country with baseball. Um, so that's great to see. But my opportunity with Oregon State was yeah pretty pretty crazy pretty lucky um basically i i decided that i was going to go on a trip um to the arizona fall classic in october 2019 in hopes of getting recruited by whatever good college it it could be whether it was juco d1 d2 anything i didn't really know where i was going to fit in um being in australia but yeah i decided i was going to do that and so i had uh, a good half a year to prepare and so i started doing academic testing academic studies practice like sat stuff and set myself some goals of kind of what kind of player i wanted to be by the time i stepped foot at the arizona fall classic in front of college coaches to where i could get recruited and um at first like in australia at that time a lot of people just kind of threw through the idea that juco was going to be the only and perfect route for me and if i want to play i'd have to go there and i kind of had the right mentors in in Ryan and Trent Olchen at the time. Uh, Ryan Roland Smith and Trent Olchen at the time were taking me away. They really pushed the idea that like I was good enough and had the capacity physically and mentally to to go to a great Power Five school. And so we went to the tournament and I I brought over good academic good academic results, which kind of put puts your foot in the door a little bit with some of these schools. Um, and then, yeah, I just played, played hard, tried to be as much of a leader as I could on the field. Um, and it was really just the effort, intensity, and, and presence on the field that really helped me get recruited with some of these Power 5 schools on the West Coast. Um, but it took, yeah, months, years of kind of building into a player that was going to be able to compete at the D1 level. Um, so it was like, all right, who are the best guys in the D1 level at that time? It was like, I'd be watching Andrew Vaughn. I was watching JJ Blade. I was watching Adley Rutschman. Okay, what do they do? Um, what do they do in their swing? What do they do physically? And and then it was just getting after it in the weight room and on the field for the months, months in prep to where um, college coaches were going to see me and really thought I could make an impact on their team. So, yeah, I went to the Arizona Fall Classic in um, Oregon State saw me for a couple games and was really impressed. And I went on official visit and it was the, it was the best place for me. Oh, that's huge. Uh, a couple of things. One, I'm pretty sure I was at that event in Arizona and I probably put a bat sensor on your bat at some point during BP. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't know if, you know, you were aware of that if Andrew filled you in on that or not, but I, I wasn't aware of that up until this moment that you were there, but, uh, kind of neat too. Yeah. So yeah. Two, uh, you definitely fit the spirit of the outlier sessions in that you're an outlier for Australia. Um, <laughs> you know, and that you're, you're playing for Oregon state. And, you know, I, I talked about, I talked to Andrew a bit back when we worked together at USA baseball. Um, 
and for the people listening, Andrew worked at USA Baseball for a summer with me uh, with the Prospect Development Pipeline, and he's Australian, and he came over. He played uh, JUCO, um, and that's kind of what he – it sounded like similar to what you just said the experience was for Australians that wanted to play baseball in the States was go the JUCO route. So, um, yeah, commend you on having all your ducks in line uh, and then coming over here and, you know, taking advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, um, that must have been just before that Mm -hmm. in Arizona, you were in the U18 World Cup in South Korea. Uh, You batted leadoff for a very strong team, Australia. You guys finished just short of a medal, but you gave just about everyone a fight in that tournament. I know there was a close game with Team USA that probably could have gone either way. What was that experience like? It was amazing. Um, being able to put put on the jersey for your country is always like super special and something you can't really replace. So um, it was amazing in that sense. And then connecting back to the like the me getting recruited in college, it all came in the same couple months, and it was kind of a launch pad for me mentally playing at the World Cup because you go into a game against Team USA and you got. Pete Crow Armstrong, Drew Romo, Mick Abel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. These big name guys about to go in the first round. And Vanderbilt commit, Florida commit, Power Five schools everywhere, every step of the way. Um, and we go out there, compete, and probably could have taken that ball game, lose two one. And for me, it was like, wow, like that's 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 a loss, and it obviously hurts, but it's like. I can compete at that level. I, I'm I'm one year younger than a lot of these guys. I'm right there with them. And and so it gave me the confidence to where I was like, I'm gonna get recruited by Power Five schools in, in a month in a month's time. Like I that's it's gonna happen because I, I know I'm right there with them and, and soon enough over the long term, like I'm I'm gonna step ahead and, and grow. So it showed me that those kids that I see on Instagram, like Austin Hendrick hitting balls hundred and 30 miles an hour obviously that's an exaggeration but that kind of thing like just dominating in the u.s i never really got to see what they were like and then to to play against them obviously they were incredible but it was like all right they're still human and and uh yeah it kind of put it in perspective and really allowed me to be confident going into getting recruited for sure but it was amazing korea korea was amazing too i loved the place yeah, I saw how tight that game was. Um, I think I caught a little bit of it as well on the YouTube live stream. Um, and you guys were impressive. And then, you know, kind of jumping around a little bit here, you know, fast forward a couple of years, Premier 12, I'm pretty sure Team Australia beat Team USA in that Olympic qualifier, uh, yep. if I'm remembering correctly. So that, yep. that was kind of like for me, you know, I felt like you guys were a really good representation and then to see it with the older guys another year or two later, you know, and then, you know, everything that's, I, I don't want to say that I'm hyping you guys up for 2022 U18 world cup. And I want to get yeah. your thoughts on that here in a second, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, Australia is, is no longer the pushover that I viewed you guys as, you know, six, seven years ago when I first started working at USA baseball. And I was like, Oh, well, if it's, if it's not Japan or, the Dominican Republic, then yeah, it's probably not a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with that said, U18 World Cup going to be here in the States in September. What are your expectations for this next group? A medal, truly. Like the way things are trending back home and the way some of these kids that are going to be going to that tournament are working and I'm in contact with some of them, like they're going to be a really strong squad and, and, the Australian teams always bring the the competitive nature and always going to fight and, and like really make it a, like it's going to be tough for whoever they play. But I think this group's going to bring over some more, some more talent and tools than, than we ever have and, and, and do something special for sure. I think we're going to compete really, really well. well. I'm excited to see how that goes. Um, I know it sounds like they've been over here all summer. Um, <laughs> which I feel like is a really good opportunity for them uh, on a number of different fronts, but at least, you know, warm up and get ready for September and not just have to hop off a plane and get ready to go. Uh, I'm sure you know that all too well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But 
how have you seen the opportunities for Australian players evolve over the past few years? You talked about your experience and how really everything had to go perfectly um, for you to get the opportunity that you did. But it sounds like, you know, in, in the work that Andrew and, and the group over at uh, Australia Baseball are doing, you know, to grow the opportunities, what's that looked like from an exposure standpoint the past few years? Yeah, I'd say like three, four years ago, it was kind of a turning point and um, people started to really get a grasp of like there's there's really many opportunities out there and we can make it work for a lot of kids. Like I feel like five years ago, four or five years ago, most people in Australia really just said, all right, you should, if you get offered a pro contract as a high schooler, you should take it. Like you need that opportunity, just take it and, and do that. And so like, guys would go over underdeveloped and throw themselves into a pool of uh, become a small fish in a big pond and um, and kind of leave or get released or something when they're like 21, 22 and, and kind of not know what to do with their baseball career. Now it's like, all right, like I can develop a college. I can go Juco. I can go D1. And like people are opening their eyes. Like there's, there's so many different opportunities that, you've just got to push for whatever's going to be best for you and, and work, work so hard for the long term and, and have that long term vision to where like not letting anyone just kind of tell you what your limit is right now and, and go, go grow over time and, and get, give yourself those best opportunities. But it's definitely evolved because I think, yeah, people are understanding that some, there's more opportunities out there and, and there's a bigger vision than just like, what can this kid do right now? It's like, all right, how can we develop the youngest and the the best kids into like big leaguers and you know? For sure. And and hopefully you're on the the front end of a, a large wave that's coming behind. Um yep. and I know, you know, obviously there's guys in the big leagues, there's guys in professional baseball right now, but um I think you, you know, having the power five college baseball experience uh, before your draft is, is really going to be unique for, you know, someone from your country. So that's going to be really, uh, exciting to see. And we'll get a yep. little bit more into, you know, what's ahead for you in the next, you know, couple of years before that. But, um, the last question I kind of want to touch on, uh, in regards to the experience, I guess, as an amateur in Australia is, you, you know, you've been around enough American players at this point, you know, whether it be at college or, you know, during the summertime or, whatever that may be compare and contrast the experience between uh, Australians and Americans, just in terms of, you know, conversations you've had regarding travel baseball showcases, whatever that may be. Cause here in the States, you know, I guess to kind of give you a little context for the question, like, you know, kids will play eight, nine, 10 months out of the year. Uh, and then on their big showcase summer, like they'll run themselves into the ground playing tournaments and going to every showcase and whatever it may be. Um, and it's just, it's a very go, go, go grind, um, you know, on the exposure circuit. So what, what kind of is the, the amateur experience for a high school kid, um, in Australia playing baseball? Yeah. 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 It's, it's completely different. So as soon as you kind of get to high school age in Australia, if you, if you're a quality player, you end up playing with kids a couple years older and then men, um, pretty young. So like I started playing with men like 30 year olds 35 year olds 25 year olds whatever it was when i was like 14 15 years old um and i might have i might have 100 at bats 80 at bats a year at that point like and and the american kids are getting 400 at bats so it's like it's totally different totally different in that sense is like there's way more game exposure here but there's something to be said about the power of like a 15 year old being in a professional dugout or being in a, in a dugout with a 30 year old who's played at the highest level or um, going out there and having to compete against a, a guy in his prime, a man in his prime that's doesn't care that you're a 15 year old and he's trying to blow it by you, run it up inside, like play hard. And like you, you grow a lot from that. So I think there's some power in, 
um, yeah, playing against men. And I, I got to do some stuff in the ABL um, from about 15 to 18 and, and learned a lot, uh, which helped me get ready to play against kids my own age again because I hadn't really played against kids my own age from about the age of 15. That's kind of wild. I can't really think of any situation anywhere in the United States at any level where nope. a 14 or 15 year old playing up, up against grown men in real competition. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. So yeah. Yep. No, that's cool. <laughs> yep. Um, so from looking at your profile, it's apparent that Travis Bazana has always been much more than a baseball player. You talked about it earlier in regards to, you know, your dad supporting you and playing all these different sports in high school. You competed in track basketball, rugby, soccer, and apparently you're quite the cricket player. How do you feel the diversity of your athletic background has helped you on the baseball field? It's helped me with, with everything really. Like you could pinpoint cricket really quickly and say like those, those reps swinging a bat and hitting a moving ball. Like they, they obviously helped me with barrel control and, and maneuvering my body into positions of, of bat to ball skills. So like, I think those reps from a young age have just added to the skill of being a baseball hitter. Um, and then like rugby, soccer, rugby taught me to take hits, get back up, um, have to be able to put yourself up against big, strong kids that are going to run you over. But like, it's like, all right, how do I compete? So for rugby, it's like, all right, I got to take him, tackle him low as low as I can and he'll fall if he's a big guy. And kind of comparing that to baseball, it's like, all right, I'm 5'11". I'm not six foot seven Aaron judge and everyone wants to talk about how the, the game's getting bigger and stronger and faster. Like, all right, how am I going to make it work? Like there's guys, there's guys in the league that are five eleven and hit 30, 30 homers a year. Now, what are they doing that I've, I've got to do, you know? So I think rugby taught me that, um, soccer was a bit of fun and didn't play too much of it, but like, obviously it's just another part of that di- diversity. And then the track side of things was like, from a young age, I was just trying to pursue how I could be the best baseball player and kind of everything just became my library, Library, whether that was TV, books, um, people I talked to. And knowing that I have to be super athletic for baseball, it was like, okay, I need to get out and, and run and sprint. So I had multiple track and field coaches for sprinting um, in high school, just trying to get faster for baseball and and yeah i'd say that that helped me a lot in terms of being an explosive player for sure but it all ties in together and just taught me different things and and made me a complete more complete athlete for sure man that's an edge i mean you talked about pursuing different ways to be the best athlete that you can be and ultimately pursuing track i wish more amateur baseball players here in the states and not just baseball all sports would really see the value in training speed and training all of the things that track trains and how that transitions onto a baseball field or onto a soccer field or basketball court or whatever they're playing. Um, you know, I think, (laughs) you know, continue to tap into that, continue to use that because I think they're still like even athletes your age, once they get to college, once you get into the pro game, it's like they, they think running and baseball are mutually exclusive and some of them do it and some of them don't. And, uh, you know, the bare minimum is that you show up and you take BP and you take, you know, ground balls and you stretch and you go out there and play a game. And, you know, I know a handful of guys in professional baseball at different levels that go above and beyond that uh, to continue to try and progress or maintain their athleticism at least in season and then progress it in the off season because they know that that's an advantage. So uh, kudos to young Travis on that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'll just touch on one more thing. Like, I think – I just see it as like you got five physical tools getting evaluated in this game all the time. Like you're going to hit every day because you care how you hit on the field and how that tool, how that tool shows up. It's like running speeds, just a, another tool. So it's like, why wouldn't I find the best of the best and study the best of the best in terms of running? Because <laughs> what's, why would I leave something? Why would I leave that table, that tool unturned, you know? hundred percent. Um, and then one more thing that I do want to touch on from what you just said in regards to cricket, you talked about before, uh, you know, 
the typical Australian player is getting close to 100 at bats a year, whereas the American player is getting you know three, four hundred at bats over the course of a year uh, when they're an amateur. And just the importance of cricket and the act of intercepting with a bat, uh, a fast moving object, and how even though you didn't get any more than 100 at bats over the course of a year supplementing it with cricket is getting you additional reps of basically doing the same thing, tracking something with your eye, intercepting it. Um, a concept called donor sport, which I don't know how familiar you are with that. I think that's more of a European term, but, um, yeah, really like you have cricket as a perfect supplement to baseball. And that's not really an opportunity that a lot of kids have here. Um, but I think that that's really neat and, definitely was huge in the development of your hit tool <laughs> 100 like from a young age like i say my mom's side of the family was a bigger cricket family and my dad played baseball and also played cricket and so like for me i was in the back backyard at a young age like with my mom just bowling me cricket balls and my brother bowling me cricket balls and then like my dad would flip me baseballs or feed the tea like it was just constant like bat to ball reps and and vision and swinging and rotating like over and over since i was two years old like it it all had to play a part in that in the the hit tool right now i'd say that's awesome um we've objectively seen on our end from a lot of the work that we've done on the sports science regarding raw athleticism that power quickness speed that kind of raises the ceiling for the athlete it's clearly something that you understand really well um, but regardless of sport for a parent or younger athlete who may be listening, uh, I guess go a little bit more into the weeds on the importance of being an athlete on a baseball field, you know, specifically you talked about it from a tool standpoint and, and being evaluated, but there's plenty of athletes, I guess, on a baseball field that aren't really overly concerned about that. Um, and maybe if you could break it down a little bit more, just to the 14 year old kid who thinks he's a PO already and thinks that he doesn't need to get in the gym. Yeah. I, uh, I put it this way. I'd say the speed power and strength that you hold as an athlete is like the engine or, or ceiling of, of where your tools are going to sit on a baseball field. So it's like, your your floor is the skill you have but like really that that ceiling comes from from those the speed power and strength that are going to play into those tools like you you can't hit the ball 120 miles an hour like Aaron Judge if you don't have his strength and his uh mass behind the ball and like you can't defend the way Trey Turner does or, or steal bags like him if you don't have that speed and then like there's, it's a real correlation between pretty much any of those tools, like power output, how, how much power you can put into the ground is going to play a huge part in, into how fast you can run, how hard you can throw and how hard you can hit the ball. And like, that's what people need to understand. And I'm, I'm lucky I grasped that through, through just like searching from a young age that like the, the faster I can move more mass, um, the better I'm going to be on a baseball field and it's going to play into all those tools. So I'd, I'd say that. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it and I'm sure you've seen it uh, to varying degrees at, at different levels, but there's always kids that are really talented in their sport. You know, they've got a high level of skill. Maybe they've got a really good hit tool or they've got a really good feel to, to pitch, throw strikes, spin the ball, whatever it may be. Um, and they, they rest on that. And they don't take advantage of, yep. of their growing years to to try and, you know, even if they're a bad athlete, get to average. If they're an average athlete, get to above average. If they're an above average athlete, you know, really push the line of like, all right, I'm going to be the best athlete on my team. A lot of them separate those two things. And, again, they just kind of go off of, you know, their ability on the baseball field. Then when the game speeds up, all of a sudden they're pretty pedestrian and they just miss this huge opportunity over the past two or three years where their body was growing and that's lost time. Cause I'm sure, you know, like you're starting to reach a point where as you get into your early twenties, you kind of are what you are and it becomes a maintenance game. Um, you could kind of liken it to concrete where it's like the concrete's wet through your, 
teenage years and into your early twenties and then it hardens and, um, it's your job to make sure that it doesn't deteriorate faster than everybody else. Um, so really interesting stuff there. Um, let's transition here a bit and get a little bit more specific about your development as a player touched on it earlier. You had an impressive freshman year with the Beavers, all kinds of accolades, freshman, all American, all defensive team, et cetera, et cetera. Talk about your transition into the program. When did you get to campus? What was your fall like? And when did it become clear that you're going to crack the starting nine? Yeah. So I commit to Oregon state late 2019 and the recruiting coach at the time, we started talking about like my transition into the fall of 2021 and what it was going to look like and what I was going to do the summer before getting to the fall. So he hooked me up with the Corvallis Knights, which is the, the local summer ball team for Oregon State. Um, and he said, I want you to play for the Knights and get used to Corvallis and get used to the field and whatever um, pre your freshman fall. And I was like, yep, lock it in. I'd love to do that. And so really early on when I committed, I, I organized that I was going to be playing summer ball for the Corvallis Knights in the West Coast League. And yeah, so I come to the United States June of last year, June of 2021. And yeah, I play a full summer um, in Corvallis and in the Northwest. And lucky enough, like my coaches were able to watch games at, Oregon State because that's where the Knights play out of and I had a really great summer and yeah I kind of I I, every time I played on Goss I really made it clear to myself or made it important to myself that like my head coach is probably watching right now my assistant coach that doesn't even they, they haven't seen me play for 18 months they've just seen a little bit of video in the cages whatever like I got recruited and then it was all just across the world you know so i i just tried to put on a show play hard every time uh that summer league because they were right there to see it and then i remember a game um it was kind of crazy i i remember a game it was fireworks night against the ridgefield raptors um at oregon state and our coaches were i saw them up watching the game with their families um at the field and i I hit like a go-ahead triple, made a diving play, and bunted for a base hit or something all in the same game, and we walked it off, and it was like an electric game. And I remember like seeing my coaches after, uh, um, and my hitting coach was like, you know, man, like we're so excited for the impact you're going to make this year. Like, you really have showed us a lot this summer and we can't wait for you to step into a role where you, you lead this team and we don't want you to be afraid of leading. And that I'll never forget that. And I, that allowed me to step into the fall with all the confidence in the world. And I, I truly like as much as people don't want it to work this way, I stepped into the stepped onto campus in September last year with all the confidence in the world that I, had that starting job and I was going to be one of the best players on the team and, and lead that team. And yeah, we get into live ABs, we get into full training and I really just committed to, to being good for the team and, and making an impact. And that's, that's what I wanted to do since, since day one. And it's like, when I committed, everyone's like, damn, like no Australians can go there. That's you got, I went to a D one when I was 23 three and I still wasn't good enough. Like you're not going to be strong enough that the Americans are too strong, this, that hearing all these things, you're not going to be ready. And so all I wanted was to just prove all those people wrong and make an impact straight away. And that's what I worked towards. It was like, all right, what kind of player do I have to be when I step on campus to where I can make an impact straight away? And then, yeah, I balled out and some of all stepped onto the fall, um, the field in the fall and, and dominated. Like I, I was, the best offensive player on our roster during the fall and the winter. And, and I gained the respect of all the older guys on my team and gained the respect of my coaches because I went out there and played hard and had no, no issues with confidence from the, from day one. Um, and it helped me build those relationships, especially with older guys. Cause they were like, damn, like this young guy, he doesn't, he's not scared. Um, so yeah, 
I kind of just went on the tangent, but yeah. No, it's all good. I mean, it's, it's impressive to hear you talk. I mean, you know, going all the way back to the very beginning of this conversation, it's obvious that you're wired different. Um, and you know, commend you on it. And I can't wait to see how far that takes you. Uh, it's obvious that you play with a chip on your shoulder. Uh, I wish there were more people that were wired the way that you're wired, uh, in the baseball environment. I think it would make it a lot more competitive and, um, a lot more fun to watch. Not that it's not already fun to watch, but, uh, I just think in the age of the transfer portal and kind of the madness that surrounds that, I think you brought up yep. and touched on a couple of things early on, like every opportunity you have to step between the lines is an opportunity for you to go out and compete and leave an impression on somebody. You never know who's watching in your case. You, yep. you kind of knew who was watching, but there are so many guys that I've seen here in the States that they get their opportunity to go play D one. And then it's like foot off the gas. They're like, Oh, I'm a D one player now. And then, you know, they show up, they yep. get their butt kicked in the fall and then they end up in the transfer portal. And right now, yep. if you're in the transfer portal, there's not a home for you. You know, I'm sorry. Yep. Like it's, that's just how it is. Um, and yep. there's going to be a lot of kids, you know, either dropping out of baseball or, um, you know, heading in a very different direction on a baseball field this upcoming spring because of exactly that. So, um, you know, kudos to you salute hats off the whole nine, like, you know, keeping your foot on the gas and I'm, I'm sure it's, it's not going to stop anytime soon. So, uh, you know, <laughs> shout out to Oregon state. They got themselves a good one. <laughs> Thanks. Um, speaking of Oregon State, what kinds of resources does Oregon State provide for your athletic development, and what do you specifically focus on to keep expanding your potential? And, and you don't have to go super deep into that because I know you've talked about you know power, speech, strength, um, but just kind of talk about Oregon State and kind of what they provide. Yeah, I think it starts with the staff. Is like our staff from head coach to strength coach to analytics guy. Like everyone is willing to adapt and grow and like search for new ways to be better as a program. And, and that's what I love. So there's no holding us back in terms of our athletic development. So we have a great, a great um, array of nutrition at our field in our clubhouse um, ready for us. We've got uh, a dietitian or nutritionist. I don't know how she likes to be called, but it's one of those two. And she um, guides us through our, our eating and our and our goals in terms of weight gain, weight loss, strength, etc., and helps us um, be more aware of what we're eating. And then we've got yeah a great strength coach who's done it with the best. Um, a, a awesome facilities in terms of that. Um, yeah, and then just I think the the people and and connections you make at the school like all are pull, pulling the same way and want you to get better athletically. And then just off off athletics like our help for school stuff and and being a student athlete um is really there in terms of resources like the people trying to help us do well in school as well as be great on the baseball field uh are awesome too so yeah awesome i mean if you you can all the the videos and the content are out there for a lot of power five schools to be able to see you know what they're working with yep. Um, and it's it, what you're working with at Oregon state is probably going to be a whole lot better than what you'll experience in your first couple of years of pro ball. But, uh, yep. as, as long as everything goes according to plan for you and you end up in a, yeah, I mean, honestly, what you got at Oregon state might end up being better than what a lot of big league clubs are working with. So, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how all that goes, but, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about summertime. And I know that you, you didn't play this summer, or at least, you know, you didn't leave the Northwest. Something that is huge for college baseball players is how they spend their summer. So uh, I'm sure the opportunity will present itself next summer. Go play on Cape Cod, which I highly recommend. Pretty unique place with as much history in baseball as anywhere at any level. But how did you spend this past summer? And talk us through what your options were and kind of what that decision-making process looked like. Yeah, so um, I kind of knew that well, – I had a goal from, bef again, when I committed that I was going to play one my freshman season and I was going to play good enough to where I would be wanted by teams in the Cape after my freshman year. So that had been a goal of mine for a, a long time, knowing that the Cape's a special place and it was going to give me a lot of opportunities moving forward. So 
that was goal. And then I, yeah, coming into the CBA or the, the negotiations between the players union and the MLB, uh, I was a sophomore draft eligible player. Um, and then after those negotiations that changed by about a month. And so I became junior draft eligible. And so pro teams, big league teams want to see you play, play a summer in the Cape or at USA baseball, something at the highest level with great pitching. Um, when they're looking at your draft stock, they want to see how you do against those, those top arms in the country. And so, uh, yeah, I, I knew I wanted to get a Cape summer, but then having, two summers not one once i became junior eligible it took me back to like okay what is like the best thing for me and what's worked for me in the past and like being able to take time off the game itself to like have a plan have an idea and face like the weaknesses of my game and what i need to get better at and give it a couple months to just work day in day out with great intention like that is what has made me the player I am today. And I really thrive in those scenarios to kind of step away from the field and just go to work. And so I was like, all right, it's a no brainer for me to um, let the Cape team that I was supposed to be going to this summer that know that I wasn't going to be going. And I, I wanted to, and I told the coaches that I, I wanted to train and, and go to driveline, which is where I'm at right now. So I, yeah, I was sitting in the airport one day, found out that I was junior draft eligible and I, started doing some research and figuring out what I wanted to do and made some, started writing goals in my notes of, of what I wanted to improve on and what I wanted to do this summer. So yeah, I thought it was just going to be the best thing for me in terms of moving forward, um, being the best player moving forward, getting my body right for the next season. Um, and yeah, just building that ceiling. Cause it's, it's tough when you, when you aren't the, the most like highly, or not athletic, highly, the biggest guy, the, hit the ball 450 feet, throw the ball hundred miles an hour toolsy guy. Like you have to find a way to find time to build that ceiling or you're just going to be the gamer that never made it past a ball, you know, like you have to build those tools. And so being able to step away and, and build those tools and gain size, gain strength. And, and yeah, it's, it was just going to be the best thing for me, no, no matter what. So I'm going to be going to the Cape next summer as long as I'm healthy and, and hopefully do something great there. Yeah, I, I admire the approach. Um, I know, you know, you mentioned it kind of like there's there's cycles when it comes to the draft evaluation process. And, you know, to to go to the Cape after your freshman year, obviously you want to show really well. Um, I've seen it a number of times where a guy goes to the Cape after his freshman year, shows really well, and then either doesn't want to go back to the Cape after his sophomore year because he feels like he's already done that. Uh, and it's kind of resting on their laurels a little bit, or two, they go to the Cape and there's all of this pressure to repeat the performance of the previous summer. Now that it's your draft year, it kind of puts you in a tough situation. Um, so again, you know, like as enticing as that opportunity is, and I think it's, it's very similar on the high school side when you're an underclassman on the upper class circuit and you perform really well. And I saw that a number of times and then, you know, in their draft year, they come out and they repeat the same circuit and they're not the player they were against older air quote, better competition. Um, and it really plays mm-hmm. with the mind. So, um, yeah, you know, again, can't say it enough, uh, really mature approach from you and obviously taking control of your own destiny and kind of taking control of your own process. So, um, really cool. Thanks. Um, you talked about goal setting a little bit there, touched on it very, you know, lightly there in terms of when you learned you were draft eligible after your, your junior year. So let's talk about goal setting. We're of the belief that as athletes mature, depending on their level of competition or aspiration, their goal setting process should evolve when they're younger. The process might be a little more parent driven as they start to form their identity. They should have a bit more input. And if they reach a certain level of competition, like you are, uh, it should be a bit more deliberate and they should be a little bit more selective as to who they're allowing input from. With that being said, how do you set goals for yourself? Is it all internally driven or are there certain people in your life that help you set your course? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, 
since I can remember, like when I was, I'd say 10 years old, like I, I wanted to be a major league baseball player and like, that's all it was. It was, I want to play in the MLB. And then as I grew older, I learned that like really the higher I set that, that limit on myself, the, the better I can go and the, the further I can go. And so, yeah, my goals just, um, evolved, but for me, it, it really starts with the long-term vision. It's like, I want to be, I want to be the greatest player to ever come from Australia. And I want to inspire the next generation of Australians to where we're a dominant country in baseball. And so it's grown into that last couple of years. And then for me, I have to see it like that because when I was 15, 16, like I, I wasn't better than some of the guys next to me or whatever in Australia and even across the world in America, especially it's like, all right, I'm not going to be better than him in a week and I'm not going to be better than him in a year. But like, I'm going to make sure and do everything in my power that I'm better than him in three years, four years, and then forever onwards. And it's like, the just the competitive in me and the, the, the long-term vision being able to break that down is, is what it is for goals. So it's like, yeah, I want to be great, but that's so far away. It's like, all right, how can I get a little bit better at everything right now? And breaking it down. Okay. Where am I weak right now? So when it when for me, it was like, all right, I'm 15. I got, I'm not going to be better than this, this guy in a year's time. I'm not going to be better than him in two years. Um, okay. Well, I'm, I got a weak arm right now. Okay. I'm going to do everything in my power for this couple months to get a strong arm. Okay. Now I can play some left side infield. Sweet. That makes me a little bit more competitive. All right. Now I'm 16. I I'm fast, but I really can't steal bases at the, the level with the men. Um, okay. I'm going to go find a track coach. Bang. Now I steal bases. Okay. now I only hit singles. <laughs> I'm hitting, but I'm only hitting singles. All right. I need to prove these guys that I can hit for some power. Okay, now I increase my slugging and, and start putting the ball in the air with some authority. It's like breaking it down to where those weaknesses keep getting ticked off and going away. It's like over the long term, when you break those things down and keep keep killing those lowest hanging fruits, those weaknesses, um, that's where the growth is for me. And I, I've honestly really found that like I've just got to set really high expectations and goals. And as long as I have a plan and intention, uh, I'm fueled for it. And, and yeah, I guess a lot of the, like, I'm internally driven for those goals and, and, and my passions, but like externally, there's a lot of doubt always has been, always will be. And I love like hearing those kind of doubts. And I keep in mind some of those people that have said things and whatever, and they fuel me to be better. And, and I really use that and I want to change the narrative back home. Um, and, and do some great things. So, yeah. Well, as excited as I am for, you know, your upcoming baseball career, you know, whether it be at Oregon state and then beyond, uh, and I, I hope it lasts a long time and I hope you're able to accomplish the goals that you've set out for yourself. Um, I'm, I'm equally as excited for the impact that you're going to have on a lot of young athletes, you know, beyond your playing career, because, you know, you're very process driven. That's apparent. Um, but just the way you break everything down, I think, you know, there's, there's a huge opportunity there to, to help that next generation, you know, when, when your time's up and you hang up the spikes to, to follow a similar course. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, thank you. And I guess the last bit on goals is, you know, what your goals are for this upcoming school year. Yeah. Uh, I want to win a national championship. Um, I want to take my team to Omaha and, and then go get it done. And that's, that's really where everything stems from. But uh, yeah, I'm starting to build the connections with the incoming guys, FaceTime, whatever, Instagram DM, just, just trying to build those connections really early. Cause I know they're going to make an impact with the amount of guys we lost um, this year to the draft. And then, yeah, just trying to bring as much, knowledge and and love into the program again as i can this fall and and just build a winning team that has extreme confidence in themselves in between the white lines so that's that's goal number one and um i think if everything clicks for me i i can be the best player in the conference in the pac-12 so i'd love to be pac-12 player of the year and and win a national championship i think those two things stand out for me 
Well, as much as I want to wish you good luck, uh, I don't think you're necessarily going to need it because it's apparent that you've been hard at work creating your own luck. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Travis, it's been awesome having you on. Quick shout out to Andrew Rydell for linking us up. Really cool to provide our audience with different perspective, uh, not just from the Australia side and obviously learning about everything that's going on in Australian baseball. And that's exciting in itself, but just I think a universal perspective on approach to athletic development and achieving your goals and, and setting your eyes forward and how to go about that. Appreciate you taking the time to come on ahead of the fall. Big sophomore year on deck. Look forward to following along, and, and hopefully you can get the Beavers back to Omaha and, and you can yep. reach your ultimate goal. Um, Thanks, Matt. Appreciate yeah, it. And then <laughs> hopefully hopefully I, and it, it wasn't lost on me. Um, Travis Bazana can become – what Andrew Jones was for the Island of Curacao and uh, yep. set off a chain reaction and, and make Australia one of the, the world giants in baseball. So that'll do it for this episode of the Loaded Sports Outlier Sessions. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to continuing to bring you the brightest and most engaging guests from within the Loaded Sports Network. To stay on top of what or who is coming next, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Loaded Sports. Whether you enjoyed this episode on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, please like, comment, subscribe, share with your friends, and we'll see you next time.